Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of John. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10, as you're turning there, uh, I just want to welcome you and give you a little bit of uh, background on on me, give you a little story about me. Um, My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and God gave me the privilege of growing up in a Christian home where my parents made it a priority that we would gather together as God's family uh, every time we could. Uh, And over the course of the years, I was able to hear the gospel uh, and believe that. I remember specifically it was in the summer of uh, when I was seven uh, that I heard from a a missionary from Honduras give the gospel in a way that God allowed me to understand. And so I realized that um, because of the evil and wicked things that I did, uh, that I deserved a one-way justified ticket uh, to hell to pay for those sins. And uh, even though I was seven, they didn't really rack up. There was still a lot there as well. And so um, I remember that hearing the need for, for Jesus and that Jesus alone, his only sacrifice for my sin could uh, restore me back to God. And so I uh, trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. And I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to come into my heart. A year later, I was baptized, and then following that, I had opportunities to still be involved uh, with the church, attend various uh, youth rallies, uh, and every time the gospel was shared and the speaker gave an invitation to receive Christ, although I never went forward or raised my hand, I sat there and I prayed silently to myself. And that went on and on for uh, multiple years. And I prayed to myself because I just wasn't quite sure if when I said it the first time, if I really meant it or if God really heard me. So I would say it in different variations. I even maybe thought about trying to learn a different language and say it that way just in case God needed that. So that brought a period of, of doubt and uncertainty. And it wasn't until years later where I really understood that my salvation wasn't based on anything that I could do, wasn't based on a prayer that I could say, but my salvation was based on the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about probably a very familiar passage talking about assurance of salvation, and I've titled this message, The Actualization and Assurance of Our Salvation. But before we jump into John, let me give us some context Uh, John wrote his gospel so that people would know that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and so by believing in him, we would have life in his name. John 20, 30, and 31 says that. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are recorded, these are written in this book so that you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Messiah that he's the son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So the signs were written so that we would believe and have life in his name. And then immediately in that context, uh, we have in chapter 9, Jesus healed a man that was born blind, and Jesus' opponents, the religious leaders, really tried to get at him. And so he healed this man born blind, and they brought the, this guy into questioning. And they're like, tell us about this. How did this happen? And, and the man born blind said, I don't know, but this guy must be from God because what I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. And the, the Jewish leaders, the, the opponents of Jesus, didn't like that. 
And so they threw him out. And in verse uh, chapter 9, uh, verse uh, 27, they answered, Haven't I told you already? This is the blind man speaking, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? A little bit of tongue in cheek. And they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. For this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answers, Now that now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the ungodly. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What he's saying there is this man is from God and he did something. He opened my eyes. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You can see the tension that's rising. And then Jesus talks about spiritual blindness. He, he heals a man of physical blindness and uses this to talk about a spiritual reality. And when Jesus had heard that they'd thrown him out, he found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Chapter 9, verses 35. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man was a title for the promised Messiah of the Old Testament that anybody familiar with that would have known. It's like, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the gentleman replied, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, He's the one speaking with you. So a man born blind now can see, stands face to face in front of Jesus, asking, who is this man that I believe in him? And Jesus says, I am he. And after encountering Jesus Christ and believing in him, you see what follows. Verse 38, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. When you stand face to face, or when you see Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, and you believe, you worship. And Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. He's talking about those who uh, are, are unable to, to see because of their pride and their arrogance. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are you saying? Were you blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Because they think that they know and can see, they reveal that they're not. And then in verse chapter 10, Jesus jumps into uh, the good shepherd narrative. And so that's familiar. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, I give life to my sheep. And he's explaining this to the Pharisees. And when we pick up in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 22 through 24, we have further conflict over what Jesus is saying and what he's claiming. And before we go there, I want to give you a little bit of background. I have a couple of pictures here. Um, one is of the temple. So this is where Jesus was during this dialogue. This is the temple uh, at that time. And then this right here is called Solomon's Colonnade or, or Solomon's Porch. If we go to the next slide, you'll be able to get a picture of, just picture Jesus with, with people around him and he's engaging with them in this discussion. And this is the, the scene that our story takes place. So follow with me as I read uh, verses 22 and following. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. 
Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to him, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, It is it not written in your law that I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture can't be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart for his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And he stayed there and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, John the Baptist, that is, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many people believed in Jesus. Let me pray, and we'll walk down through this passage this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus' teaching. Thank you for preserving it so that years later, we can know and understand what Jesus taught and gain valuable truth, truth that can change our life, truth that points to Jesus as the promised Messiah, the one who would deliver his people from their sin truth that would allow us to be confident and assured of the hope that we have because it's in Jesus and in God and in him alone that our security and our assurance lie. Lord, be with us. Use your spirit this morning to teach us from your word. Help us not to just be hearers of it, but to be doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning our passage is going to be talking about uh, a couple of different things. For if you are here and maybe you don't know Jesus as uh, your personal Lord and Savior, we are going to show you, this passage is going to show you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and is God. And then for those of you maybe who are believers and maybe are, are, have struggled in certain ways, maybe like I have, or maybe uh, you've encountered a, a crisis of faith moment, uh, this passage, hopefully by God's grace, will encourage you that your salvation is rooted in Christ as the Messiah, and as God. And then for the rest of us, for those who, who know and are confident of that, it gives us insight into our relationship with our Savior. So let's begin here, verse 25. So the actualization and assurance of our salvation is rooted in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So the problem wasn't that, they didn't, that Jesus didn't claim that he was the Messiah. He did. And John writes those claims. I have a couple of them listed for you on the screen so that you can see them. This is not exhaustive. It's only some. Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. Jesus said that he had come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. 
Last time Mitch was here, he preached on John, uh, this very passage. He came down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Jesus said that his words were spirit and life. Jesus said, I came from God. He sent me. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And this statement here is, he was claiming the very um, name that God used um, in the Old Testament when he was speaking to Moses and to Abraham. He said, I am that person. So it's not like Jesus didn't claim that he was the Messiah. But they ask in confusion, they ask, okay, tell us plainly if you are the Messiah. But the reason that they were confused and the problem, Jesus says in verse 25, is that they did not believe. They did not believe what Jesus said about himself. And the reason they didn't believe, Jesus says, is because they weren't his sheep. They weren't his sheep. Jesus uses the metaphor of a shepherd and sheep pasture to describe uh, Jesus' relationship with his people. So the source of their confusion is that they didn't believe Jesus' assertion because they weren't his sheep. And the problem just wasn't that he just didn't make claims because he did. And he didn't just make claims, he actually did works in his father's name to prove those claims. John records some of those. I have them on the screen. What Jesus, the works Jesus did. He turned water into wine. Do you know any normal human being that could do that? He did things that convinced Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, that God had to be with him. He told the Samaritan woman all that she had ever done. He healed a man lame for 38 years. He gave sight to the man born blind. These works go with his message, his claim to authenticate that he was, in fact, from God. And if someone is from God and he does works, it's a good thing that we should listen to him. And again, John said the purpose of these signs, these works, was that so people would believe. But they didn't believe because they weren't his sheep. And so right in the middle of this dialogue between Jesus and his opponents, Jesus makes some assertions about himself and his sheep that, that for those who are believers are are just foundational sources of encouragement, deep wells that we can draw from when times of doubt and trouble face us. And I just want to briefly walk through some of these assertions. Verse 27, Jesus says his sheep listen to his voice. This means that Jesus speaks to his sheep. He doesn't audibly speak to them. Now, he did back then. He doesn't speak to us through visions and, and signs like he did back then. But now he speaks to us through his word. Jesus is speaking to us through his word and his spirit helps us understand. So as sheep, how well are we doing at listening? The world is loud. Distractions are many. And Jesus wants to speak to his sheep. Sometimes I think we get so distracted by the world in which we live that we, we can't really hear very well what Jesus wants to say to us. You come here to listen to Jesus' words, God's words from the Bible, and I hope that this isn't your only source of obtaining Jesus' words and teaching. 
the best thing that you could do for your spiritual health, really your physical health, your emotional health, your relational health, is to get into this book. And so if you don't have a regular habit of doing that, or if you're working at doing that, I would encourage you to to work hard and to endure so that you could hear from your shepherd, so that you can hear his truth, so you can drown out the, the, the distractions or combat the false teaching that our culture is bombarding us with. We heard a couple of weeks ago that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking that he may devour, and he uses lies and deception. We need to listen to our shepherd's voice, and Jesus speaks to us. We see that Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. There's an intimacy that comes from knowing Jesus. Now we can know about someone. I can, you can maybe rattle off facts about a sports player, a famous person, maybe a politician, uh, maybe it's a celebrity chef, right? You can know things about them, but knowing things about them doesn't necessarily mean that they really know you. So I've been on a uh, a kick of watching pastry, and there's a, a chef, and I'm going to butcher his French name, I'll just call him Pierre, and he makes these lavish creations out of chocolate. And my mom does a little bit with chocolate, so I, I, I'm familiar with that, but he makes these irrational things, and I can tell you uh, his background, where he went to school, all of this stuff. But if you go up to Pierre and say, hey, do you know Scott Cleveland? You know what he's going to say? Scott Who? Right? And so just because I know something about him doesn't necessarily mean he knows something about me. So we can know a lot about Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he knows something about you in a personal way, in a, in a sheep-shepherd relationship. Of course, he knows about us because he's created us. He knows the hairs on our head, but in that uh, intimate relationship setting, it says Jesus knows his sheep. And then it says, Jesus' sheep follow him. Jesus' sheep follow him. They follow his words. They follow his beliefs. They follow his actions and his example. When we talked about Psalm 23, we talked about the shepherd leading and guiding us. We looked at uh, 1 Peter where it says, Christ gave us an example that we may literally follow in his steps. If you're ever in a big snowstorm and someone's ahead of you and instead of wanting to get your foot soaked, you try to step in their exact steps so you already know where they're to go. That's the idea is following Jesus, following his steps, his example. And we know about him. We know that through his word. So how, sheep, are we doing it following Jesus? Are we following our good and gracious shepherd? Are we trusting in him or are we following something else? Are we following the ways of this world? Are we following people who do not know Christ? His sheep follow him. And then here's, we're kind of getting into the the really good, the deep, rich water. Jesus gives his sheep eternal life. He is the one that gives it. Not ourselves, not anything we can do. We can't do anything to merit or earn the eternal life that Jesus alone gives us. This is a problem because death, we face death because of sin. And as humanity, we live in a transactional world. I work 
and get money. I want to buy ice cream, so I give them uh, paper, and they give me creamed, chilled confection goodness. We, we live in a transactional society, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow the culture to get into our, our thoughts, and we can say, oh, Jesus gave me eternal life, so I must do something in order to get that, or to gain merit for him to do that. That is, that is heresy. That is uh, one of the lies of the devil. We can do nothing on our own to merit God's giving us eternal life. Paul says it in Ephesians, for it's by grace you have been saved. Grace, getting something that you don't deserve. It's by grace we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. When we look at the eternal life that Jesus offers and gives to us as his sheep, all we can do is bow on our face and humbly accept that. He is the one that has given that to us. And what is the result of the eternal life that Jesus gives? He says that they'll never perish. His sheep will never perish. Eternity without spiritual perishing. And as a result, no one can snatch them out of his hand. If Christ holds you secure in faith in him alone, no one can snatch you out of his hand. My daughter is 14 months, and we give her Cheerios. She's loving Cheerios right now. Just like eating them all, eating them all, right? Uh, And they're pretty good too. I sneak one once in a while when I can. Um, but sometimes if I'm feeling just a little, uh, not annoying, but what I do is I take one of those Cheerios and I put it in my hand. She, yeah, she knows. She knows. And I put that in my hand, and it's interesting to see how she tries to get that Cheerio. And so you've got a 14-month-year-old and a 371-month-year-old <laughs> holding that. There is no possible way that she can get to that Cheerio. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that no one can snatch the believer who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. He holds them secure. I'm not holding on to Jesus. You're not holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. Sophia is also walking, and she uses me to pick her up, and she holds one of my fingers and walks a little bit. She's holding on to me. Right, but when and she could fall, she can fall, she can tumble, she can go off on her own like she does. But if I hold her like this, I'm holding on to her. She's not going anywhere. That's the picture that Jesus has. No one can snatch you from my hand. And then if the assertion that Jesus has you in His hand and no one can snatch you, He goes even further. In verse 29, he says, the Father who is greater than all, just in case you didn't know that God is greater than everyone, John makes sure to let you know, God who is greater than all gives the sheep to Jesus. Again, we're not going to Jesus. God is giving the sheep to Jesus. He predestined them. He elected them. 
And Jesus says that no one can snatch them out of his father's hand. So if Jesus' hand wasn't strong enough for you, he adds another layer of protection. He says, God's hand, no one can snatch them. There's no one greater. There's nothing that can snatch you out of your father's hand. John says in John 6, no one comes to me, Jesus speaking, unless the father who sent him, sent me, draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. God draws men to Jesus. Verse 45 of John 6. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and has learned from him comes to Jesus. So God draws men to Jesus and God teaches them to go to Jesus. So God is the one that orchestrates all of that. We don't just get up in the morning and say, you know what, I am about ready to, you know, do all of these evil things. I'm going to choose Jesus this morning. He's going to be my Savior. We don't choose Jesus out of our own intuition. He orchestrates the circumstances. He gives us the faith so that we can respond and believe. And so the actualization of our salvation is rooted in Christ as the Messiah, the one who came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. It's rooted in in the fact that he's the Messiah and the fact that he is God. Verses 31 through 42. Here we go. Verse 30. Then we get a very clear statement from Jesus, the good shepherd. And they say, okay, tell us plainly if you are the Messiah. And here we go. He says this. I and the Father are one. What he's doing is he's saying, I am equal to God. I am God. And so if you put that into the illustration, Jesus is holding on to you, God is holding on to you, and they are one. So you have two powerful, no one is greater than them, holding on to you and your salvation. You are secure in the hands of Jesus and of God. Jesus is saying that he's one with the Father. This is the truth of his deity or his godness. This is the orthodox, this is historic Christianity. This is, this is important because there are some religions that say Jesus was just a prophet. He was just a good teacher. He was a man. But Christianity believes and is on this statement that Jesus is one with God. He is deity. He's not a prophet or a teacher. He's not just some historical figure that did a couple of miraculous tricks. He's not someone that we get angry, we accidentally say his name. No, Jesus is God. The creator and the sustainer of the universe. The one whom the world is held together. Jesus. And his opponents react to this. And I have to think too, there's a level of belief that these opponents have because they're, they're willing to do something about that claim. They, they get ready to pick up stones to stone him. So if, if someone were to say, hey, I'm going to rob your house tonight, and you didn't believe them, you're like, ah, okay, whatever. You know, I'll leave the coffee on, make your way in, I'll leave the door unlocked. But if you actually did believe that they were going to rob you, would that affect how you prepared? Would you maybe call the cops, say, I got an anonymous tip? Would you lock the door, maybe, you know, put some uh, jacks and balls on the door hand so when they come in, they might slip or trip? 
So there's a sense of belief that they actually somewhat initially knew enough that they were going to stone him. You can see that in the rest of the passage, and we don't have time for that. Uh, but he talks to me. He says, why are you stoning me? What work? And they're saying, we're not stoning you for the, from the works, but because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They didn't believe because they weren't his sheep. And again, they tried to seize him, and he escaped. And it says, it goes back over to verse 40. He goes back across the Jordan, the place where John was baptizing, and people do believe And so in the midst of the people of the world, some will not believe. That's just the reality. Some will not believe. But some also will believe. And God's message will still go forth. So we have the assertion of Jesus that he is our good shepherd, that he gives us eternal life, that no one can snatch them from him and his father's hands. And just even if that was enough, you you go through the rest of the New Testament And Paul tells us that God's spirit seals us for the day of redemption. That God's spirit comes to reside in us, that we become the temple of God's spirit as a seal, as a guarantee. So we have, no one's gonna snatch them out of Jesus and God's hand, but we also have the guarantee of the spirit that is in work within us. The triune God working together to bring us Three levels of security in our salvation. Wow. So if you're doubting, if you're struggling, you don't understand what salvation is or or how it happens, it happens because Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. That he absorbed all of that wrath that deserved for sin and he took that on himself And he paid the price and he died and he was buried. But the scripture said that God in three days rose him up from the dead, proving that God was victorious over sin and death. And that by uh, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart, not just an intellectual ascent, but a deep-rooted belief that's going to change your life that's going to change your actions. The Bible says that you repent, you're, you're on your way going this way and you repent, you, you believe in Jesus and you turn around and say, I am now following Jesus. Jesus says that no one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. But Jesus and God are one. So if you're here today and you don't know if you have a personal relationship, you don't know if you're a sheep. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you are faced with some truths this morning of Jesus' words and his deeds found in the scripture. So how are you going to respond? Are you going to be like Jesus' opponents and not believe? Are you going to keep on going the route you're going? Or has God been drawing or teaching you Can you think of things in your life that God may be doing to say, hey, listen, it's time to be a part of my family. Today could be the day of your salvation where you place your faith in Jesus Christ for him alone and experience the eternal security and assurance that Jesus offers. Maybe you're a believer here and you've been struggling with doubt or maybe you will eventually struggle with doubt. 
know that the actualization and the assurance of your salvation rests not on you. But that the burden and the power and the sustaining ability of your salvation rests in Jesus alone, who is not just Jesus the Messiah, but who is God. You are safe and secure because of his work, not your own. Deep breath and praise God for what he's done for you. Maybe you're a believer who's not struggling. Maybe God is not, maybe he's made you secure and you're, and you're following Jesus. How are you doing listening to your shepherd? Are you following? Are you walking in his steps? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you speaking like Jesus? Are you acting like Jesus? No matter what, in any situation, the result of our salvation is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. His hand, the hand of God, keeps us safe and secure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for the fact that he gives us eternal life and that those whom you've drawn and you've taught have come to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who lived a perfect and sinless life and died an excruciating death on the cross so that our sins before you are completely forgiven, washed away. Your mercy is more than all of our sin. Lord, and thank you that you just don't save us and you just tell us what we need to do. But Lord, you give us truths to encourage us, to strengthen us from when we doubt, to encourage us when we are persecuted, when it's hard, when the tempter seeks to destroy us or lead us astray. The fact that you give eternal life, you and you alone, and that your sheep those who have believed and trusted in you are kept secure, not just in your hand, but the hand of your Father, who is also you. Thank you that you are greater than all, that you sustain all. And Lord, would you sustain us, your church, as we continue to follow you, as we continue to listen to you, as we continue to act like you, that we may make disciples of all nations, that we may spread the good news and the assurance that we have because of your plan, Father, Jesus' willingness to endure a cross for us and your Spirit's guarantee that until you come again, we remain secure in your hands. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.